Hello, everybody, and welcome to Care Talk, where we answer your health care and health insurance questions. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm the executive director of Healthcare Voter, but I also have personal experience with the American healthcare system because I am a cancer survivor. And so I went through everything from uh, surprise medical bills to denials of treatment to get here in remission today. So please, call or text in your questions and we will answer them in a future episode and make sure you get the answers that you need. Our first question is about open enrollment, which is a term you may have heard something about because this is the season. So what is open enrollment? What does it mean for Medicare? Uh, Who's eligible and what do they need to do? Uh, Welcome, Diane from Just Care and Social Security Works. Thanks, Laura. So great question about open enrollment, which is the one time a year that Medicare allows you to look at your Medicare options. And if you'd like, change Medicare plans beginning in January of the following year. So um, this is something that's very important for people with Medicare to do, uh, even if you're really happy with the Medicare coverage you have today. If you're in a traditional Medicare program, the program offered directly by the federal government, uh, nothing will really change. And so if you're happy with that, uh, you don't have to do any more investigating. But your Part D prescription drug plan could change dramatically next year. So what you want to do for sure to save money and make sure that the drugs that you're using are covered is to go to the Medicare website and look at the Part D prescription drug insurance plan options that are available to you uh, beginning in January 2023 and make sure that you have a plan that is going to best meet your needs, cover the drugs that you take and cover them at as low a cost to you as possible. Obviously, you can't predict what new drugs you'll need, but at least for the drugs that you're currently using, you'll be set. If you're in a Medicare Advantage plan, you also need to be looking at your options. These are the private Medicare plans that are offered through corporate health insurance companies like Aetna and Humana and CVS. Um, And they uh, all change their structures from one year to the next. The doctors in their networks, the out-of-pocket costs that you'll pay, your deductibles and co-pays, and other rules for getting covered services can change as well as additional benefits. So for sure, if you're in a Medicare Advantage plan, now is the time until December 7th to take a really good look at the care and coverage that's available to you and the price you'll have to pay in a Medicare Advantage plan and make sure that you're in a plan that best meets your needs, which is a very hard thing to do because you can't know enough about these plans to know whether your care will be covered. But you can at least look, for example, at their maximum out-of-pocket costs. So if you do develop a complex condition and need costly care, you'll know the maximum you'll be paying out-of-pocket for in-network care at the very least before your plan begins to cover the full cost of your care. Thank you. And uh, just to repeat, for those on Medicare, the deadline for making changes is 
December 7th. Great. So you have a little over a week. So don't don't wait. Get started now. <laughs> and uh, for the Affordable Care Act, open enrollment is going on here too. So to talk more about who's eligible, what do you need to do, when are the deadlines, uh, welcome Soyd from Health Sherpa. Hi, thanks, Laura. So we are currently right in the middle of open enrollment for individual insurance for the marketplace. It is running until January 15th. However, you need to enroll by December 15th in order to get a start date of January 1st, um, which we always recommend get your insurance started as soon as possible. Um, so we have another couple weeks until then, though everyone gets so busy in that last week and especially the last two days on the 14th and 15th, hours waiting on the phones, agents and brokers are working really hard, our sisters are working really hard. So the sooner you can get that done the better. So if you are not enrolled in insurance through the marketplace and you would like to be, now is your chance. You don't need any sort of qualifying life event. And you can fill out an application on healthcare.gov or on healthsherpa.com um, to see what you're eligible for. You can also call. We have a call center and so does healthcare.gov um, if you would like some assistance over the phone. And then healthcare.gov has a feature to find local help. Um, if you would like to work with an agent or broker or an assister. Um, and if you are currently enrolled in insurance through the marketplace, we highly recommend going in and seeing, um, looking at the plans for next year. Even if you are happy with what you currently have, like Diane was saying, um, that could be changing next year. Um, if your plan is not available next year or is changing, you will be crosswalked and you know automatically renewed into the you know, closest, the most similar plan, but that may not be what you want. So it's always a good idea to go in and check. People save money when they do that. Also double check those drug formularies, same as with Medicare, um, because, you know, they do change year to year as do the provider networks. Um, and so again, you have until December 15th for a January 1st start date. And then um, after December 15th, you have until January 15th for a February 1st start. Great. And can you tell us the difference between brokers and assisters? And also, this is all this help is all free, right? Yes, that's right. Um, so agents and brokers are licensed in their in their resident state as well as they can get licenses in other states as well um, to sell insurance. And so they're going to be able to actually recommend plans to you. They'll talk to you about what kind of needs you have, you know, how often you're using medical care, the prescriptions that you're on, what you're looking for in health insurance. Um, if you have, for instance, a health savings account, and they'll be able to look at the plans with you and recommend them. Um, assisters and navigators, um, they are not licensed agents. Um, but they work within each state to help folks get enrolled. And so they help them fill out the application, understand what, um, you know, basic insurance terms, understand what the marketplace is, the Affordable Care Act, help them um, with follow-ups, um, but they cannot make plan recommendations like agents and brokers. Okay. And uh, Diane had something to say? Yeah, I just wanted to say that you have to be careful when you're working with an outsider. Some are independent and are going to steer you to the plans that best meet your needs, the folks at Health Sherpa, for example. But um, there are many that are just working on commission and are going to steer you to the ones that 
bring them the highest commissions. So if you have Medicare, you might want to go to your state health insurance plan for assistance. And those state health insurance plans offer free help as well. And they are completely independent. Thanks. And uh, Zoid, is there a way to tell whether uh, a, a broker, uh, should you ask them, is this an Affordable Care Act plan uh, to make sure that it isn't maybe a junk insurance plan that offers higher commissions? Yeah, they should be able to answer that question for you. Um, you can also ask them if it's a QHP or qualified health plan. Um, and if you're really not sure, um, you can run a quote on HealthSherpa or on healthcare.gov, and you should be able to see that plan as well, because um, all the same plans will show. Great. So that's just something to uh, check to make sure that you don't wind up with a plan that looks too good to be true, because it is too good to be true. And our next question is from Jill from Florida, who uses AV Med Medicare Advantage Circle. Um, the question is about the PABA benefit. Um, they, they were told that it was unlimited, but it never was. And then PAPA banned Jill from using services uh, with no warning and no reason given. And AVMED has not done anything to return the PAPA benefit. So Diane, can you explain what PAPA is and what Jill should do? Absolutely. So PAPA is a very interesting program that started a few years ago to provide companionship to older people. And uh, when I first learned about it, it was simply coming in and charging individuals a subscription uh, to be matched up with some companion, a buddy who could you know, spend time with you or your grandparent or your parent, um, help them maybe with groceries or getting their prescriptions, taking them on walks, maybe accompanying them to the doctor's office, but basically filling a really important need of social engagement. And basically, I love this program, at least in theory, because what it does is it engages people in ways that promote better health. Um, we know from all the data that buddy programs are good both for your physical health and for your mental health because it keeps your mind active and they can keep your body active. So Papa, I, I've just learned, thanks to Jill, is now partnering with Medicare Advantage plans to offer services to members of these plans. What's concerning here is that it is clearly discriminating against some enrollees and not offering services to them or offering only limited services and not explaining why the services are limited. And that's a problem. And we're seeing that, I should say, for a lot of the additional benefits that Medicare Advantage plans offer, which is very concerning because a lot of people sign up because they hear that they can get dental, vision, hearing services, companionship services, gym memberships. And what they end up learning is that those benefits can be quite limited, can involve significant out-of-pocket costs to them, and may not be available at all to them. So I would recommend that you, Jill, um, file a grievance with Medicare. Call the Medicare hotline, let them know about what happened to you, and make sure that this gets investigated and 
for sure reported uh, to Medicare. You can also call AVMED and they should be able to tell you why it is that you're no longer getting this benefit. Um, if you want the benefit and it is an additional benefit available to you, um, why is it being withheld? Absolutely. And since now is open enrollment, maybe check out all the options available and consider switching if there is a plan that offers this that uh, your current plan does not. A great idea. Our next question uh, also came in via text. My family and I have health insurance through my employer, but it is far too expensive. My employer covers the cost for me, but not my spouse or children. Can they sign up for Obamacare? Zoid? That is a great question. The short answer is yes, that they can. Um, in years past, there has been something called the family glitch that would essentially mean that, you know, because you are offered affordable insurance through your employer and you can add your family members to it, even though it's an extra cost for them, um, they still wouldn't be able to get savings through the marketplace. But that, you know, so-called family glitch has been fixed. Um, so starting next year, so the plans you'd be enrolling um, into in this open enrollment, um, that family glitch no longer applies. So that means that when you go to fill out the application to enroll in insurance through the marketplace, it will ask if you are if you and your family members are offered insurance through an employer, and then we'll ask both the lowest cost plan for just the employee, which would be you, and then the lowest cost plan for the whole family. And then it will calculate if that is affordable or not, um, according to the percentage of your income that it is. And from what it sounds like, your family members would very likely be eligible for savings through the marketplace and be able to enroll in um, a much more affordable plan that way. Of course, the only way to know for sure is to fill out that application um, or call or work with an agent or broker or a sister. Um, but yeah, it sounds like um, they should be able to get an affordable plan through the market. Great. And our next question is from Debbie, who says, uh, I'm retired and live on Social Security, but one medicine is over $90. The tier is confusing. Uh, can you explain, uh, Diane? Absolutely. So here's the issue with Medicare prescription drug plans, the Part D plans, whether you get them through um, directly if you're in traditional Medicare or through your Medicare Advantage plan, they can set up the co-pays almost any which way they want. And it's hard to know ahead of time uh, what you're going to end up having to pay because it all depends on which pharmacy you use and whether the pharmacy is in-network. Sometimes the mail-order pharmacies uh, cost less and, and are also in-network, but you have to mail away to get that lower cost. And then the prices can change out of nowhere. So even if you were paying $40 a month ago, the, the price can go up to $90 this month. And there's no really predicting uh, what could happen, which is really unfortunate. So again, as we've been saying, this is open enrollment season and you have another more than a week until December 7th to look at your Medicare Part D prescription drug plan options if you're in traditional Medicare to see if maybe you can get that drug through a different Part D plan at less cost. And if you're in a Medicare Advantage plan, when you're looking and shopping for Medicare Advantage plans, one of the things you must look at is their prescription drug coverage because, because each Medicare Advantage plan offers different prescription drug coverage. So again, you can switch Medicare Advantage plans now um, to um, 
you would be you would be signing up now for January one um, new coverage, and you might be able to find a Medicare Advantage plan with different prescription drug coverage and lower costs for you for that drug you take. Thank you. And now I'm pleased to introduce our special guest, Edwin Park from the Georgetown Center for Children and Families, to talk about how healthcare works or doesn't work in Puerto Rico and the other United States territories. So welcome, Edwin. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Laura. Um, I work at the Center for Children and Families at Georgetown University's McCord School of Public Policy. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with CCF's work, uh, we're an independent nonpartisan policy research organization uh, focused on improving the health of children and families, particularly those with low and moderate income families. Um, I'd love to talk about Medicaid in Puerto Rico and the other territories. Uh, American Samoa, Guam, uh, the Northern Mariana Islands, uh, uh, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Unfortunately, while it hasn't received much public attention at all, they are facing a dire fiscal cliff in two and a half weeks um, on December 6th, that if it's not addressed soon by Congress, will result in deep and damaging cuts to their Medicaid programs over time, which serve their low-income residents. So what is this fiscal cliff? Well, it's, it takes a little bit of explanation because we have to understand the financing uh, of the Medicaid program in the territories and how it compares to the states. But basically, in a few weeks, um, the federal Medicaid matching rate, also known as the FMAP, for the territories is scheduled to be cut. Um, that's the share of the cost of Medicaid that's picked up by the federal government. In Puerto Rico, it's going to go down from 76% today uh, to 55%. And to the other territories, uh, it's going to drop from 83% to 55%. In other words, the federal government's going to go from picking up the large majority of the territory's Medicaid costs to a little more than half. And that means the territories. Um, after December 16th, we'll have to kick in much more of their own funding to keep their Medicaid programs going as is. Um, for example, Puerto Rico would likely have to contribute um, half a billion dollars, $500 million more, which considering its ongoing debt and fiscal crisis, um, its continuing recovery from Hurricane Maria from years ago, uh, with much of the damage uh, still not been repaired, the need to deal with the damage from the most recent hurricane, Hurricane Fiona, and simply won't be possible over the long run for Puerto Rico to contribute more of its own funds to its Medicaid program. Uh, Guam has also indicated it would have to kick in $20 million more of its own funds. Uh, to make matters worse, um, federal Medicaid funding for Puerto Rico and the other territories is capped. Um, that is, unlike the states uh, where federal funding is open-ended, the federal uh, government will pick up a fixed percentage of state's Medicaid costs, anywhere between half to about 75%. Um, that percentage gets picked up whatever the state's Medicaid costs are. So the federal government will kick, federal government will kick in more money if, if state costs go up. Uh, the federal government will save if state costs go down. But the territories instead get an arbitrary uh, fixed amount of funding irrespective of their actual funding needs. And so that's a block grant. Now, in the case of Puerto Rico, for example, even if you extend these higher uh, uh, Medicaid matching rates, which are scheduled on December 16th to decline, uh, Puerto Rico's Medicaid program won't have enough federal funding to support that higher FMAP. Um, if you look at their current funding levels, Puerto Rico likely needs about $600 million more 
uh, in federal funding and its block grant for the rest of 2023 than what's currently available. So if Congress doesn't act in the upcoming lame duck uh, session, uh, the territories will have to cut their Medicaid programs, even though their residents rely so heavily on Medicaid for their health coverage. Uh, for example, in Puerto Rico, which is uh, the program I know best, nearly 40% of Puerto Ricans overall rely on Medicaid and are covered by Medicaid, and nearly 62% of, of children in Puerto Rico receive their health coverage through Medicaid. In addition, uh, these programs are uh, uh, at risk of such deep cuts, even though they are already far less generous than what's provided in even the least generous states. Um, they have lower income eligibility levels uh, below what the federal minimums usually are. Um, some territories use their own ways to calculate poverty uh, compared to the federal poverty level, and those levels are much lower. For example, in Puerto Rico, the Puerto Rico poverty level, the PRPL, is roughly half that of the federal poverty level that's used in the states. Um, the territories gen tend not to cover the same benefits. Uh, for example, Puerto Rico doesn't cover long-term services and supports, including nursing home care, uh, doesn't cover uh, non-emergency transportation. That's transportation, for example, to and from the doctor or, or, or um, uh, to get your blood work done in a lab. Doesn't cover financial help uh, with premiums and cost sharing for low-income seniors and, and disabilities who are also on Medicare. Uh, which are part of the so-called Medicare savings programs. Um, the territories also cover fewer drugs um, uh, than state Medicaid programs with much more restrictive formularies. That is, uh, instead of covering nearly all uh, FDA-approved drugs, uh, Medicaid programs in the territories can be far more restrictive. Their provider rates, uh, the reimbursement rates that go to Healthcare providers like physicians and hospitals to pay for services uh, furnished to Medicaid beneficiaries. They're also very low. Uh, in Puerto Rico's case, those low rates have contributed to long-term stress to its uh, healthcare system, which was further stressed uh, due to damage from the hurricanes um, and other public health crises, including COVID, but also before that, uh, Zika. And the outmigration of any, many health professionals, especially physician specialists, to the mainland from, from Puerto Rico. Uh, so what needs to be done? At minimum, Congress needs to extend the current matching rates for the territories, as well as increase the block grant funding available for Puerto Rico for as long as possible. Uh, this is absolutely critical to sustain their existing Medicaid programs, as well as to allow for some modest improvements to their programs. Past funding increases enacted by Congress um, have allowed Puerto Rico to raise their provider rates a little bit, temporarily raise eligibility, though that expansion has since expired, cover more drugs. You know, uh, drugs, for example, that have treated hepatitis C first came available in 2014, uh, but Puerto Rico didn't even cover a single drug uh, treating hepatitis C until 2020. And even then it was only because Congress provided a little uh, extra funding on a temporary basis of which, you know, now that funding is expiring. A longer term funding increase is especially important uh, uh, for those familiar with Puerto Rico's um, economic crisis. Puerto Rico now operates under a financial oversight board that was set up by the federal government. And that oversight board has um, final say over the budget uh, that the governor and the legislature puts together in Puerto Rico. Uh, and the 
board has been reluctant to approve Medicaid expansions, other improvements uh, due to uncertainty about sufficient federal funding over the long run. But what's eventually needed, of course, is a permanent fix. Um, what's absolutely essential is a short-term fix now, but the best uh, approach would be um, state-like financial treatments, get rid of the block grants, have open-ended federal funding for the territories in Medicaid, uh, calculate those Medicaid matching rates based on territories per capita income. Considering how low it is, uh, they would then get the maximum uh, matching rate of 83%. And you tie these uh, permanent funding changes to um, fuller compliance over time with various federal Medicaid eligibility benefit and other requirements so that the Medicaid programs in the territories you know, aren't uh, much more restrictive than what's available in the states, even some of the states with, um, you know, programs that are far stricter, far less generous, that only comply with the federal minimums, but don't do much more than that. It would be a big step forward for the territories. Uh, and of course, that would ensure, you know, far greater health coverage and access for those living in Puerto Rico, American Samoa, Guam, uh, the Marianas Islands, and the U.S. Virgin Islands moving forward. Um, so with that, you know, I've covered a lot, I'll, I'll stop, but uh, thanks again for letting me raise awareness of the Medicaid fiscal cliff facing Puerto Rico and the territories, and I'll turn it back over uh, to Laura. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about the difference uh, between the people who live in Washington, D.C., how they are treated um, by the healthcare system, and the people who live in Puerto Rico, Guam, um, American Samoa, uh, Virgin Islands, uh, and the Marianas Islands. Uh, people who live in Washington, D.C. are U.S. citizens. They do not have a state. They live in a district. But the people who live in Puerto Rico and all the other islands are also U.S. citizens. Uh, but how does healthcare differ compared to in Washington, D.C.? So uh, the District of Columbia is not a state, of course, doesn't have representation in Congress, but it is treated as if it's a state under the Medicaid, under, under the federal Medicaid program. So that means that D.C. gets um, the federal government uh, providing open-ended federal funding uh, to sustain its program. And Puerto Rico um, has some of the, I mean, sorry, the District of Columbia has some of the most generous income eligibility uh, levels of all the states. And so it just shows the, the difference um, in the program uh, due to the uh, differential treatment the territories get in terms of federal Medicaid financing compared to D.C. So, you know, D.C., of course, as a state, is unable to get... Um, uh, representation in Congress, also needs Congress to approve uh, certain actions that states otherwise can make on their own, but um, it does have a uh, much uh, stronger Medicaid program, much more resilient program, thanks and thanks due to um, its uh, treatment like a state that unfortunately the territories don't get. And how does uh, Medicare and the Affordable Care Act, how are those uh, enacted in, in the territories. Uh, do, do the programs op operate differently or the same as on the mainland? So it is a lot different. Um, in terms of me the Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act, the territories can take up the expansion and Puerto Rico has done that. Uh, but the marketplaces don't operate in the territories. So um, there is some uh, additional Medicaid funding that was originally provided by the ACA to the territories to improve their coverage uh, uh, as a um, you know, not very adequate substitute for the marketplace, uh, but the marketplaces aren't available. Uh, Medicare uh, is available, but there are uh, things that aren't the same in the territories. For example, 
the Medicare low-income subsidy and the drug benefit, uh, which helps low-income Medicare beneficiaries pay for their drug premiums and, and co-pays. Uh, that does not exist in the territories. Again, they get a little bit of Medicaid funding, but a lot of the territories haven't had the ability to draw down those funds due to the, the uh, inability to raise their own funds to uh, support those efforts. And in the case of Puerto Rico, uh, they don't have automatic uh, Medicare Part B enrollment, um, uh, unlike for residents of any other part of the United States. And so they have actually lower uh, Medicare participation um, than, uh, the, than the national average. And so for somebody watching this show or, or listening to this show today, uh, it sounds like there is a healthcare crisis right now. The funding is about to expire for Medicaid. Uh, what can or should people be doing right now about it? I think that uh, there should be an attempt to, uh, you know, raise the profile of this issue uh, so that congressional policymakers are aware of how important this is to get done. It does have to be uh, done on a bipartisan basis. So hopefully um, that can happen in this lame duck session. But sort of moving forward, understanding the really two-tier system that we have in Medicaid for the territories and that um, a lot of uh, people who live in the territories um, aren't getting the services that they need uh, because their Medicaid programs, while so important to their healthcare systems, um, is funded to a much less degree than is the case in the state. And so uh, for all of us watching, uh, the people in the territories don't have a U.S. senator, and they they have a, a U.S. representation in, in the U.S. House, but it's non-voting representation. So it's incumbent on all of us that have U.S. senators and a representative that has a vote that you contact your elected officials and tell them how important it is to take care of the American in the territories that need health care and to do it before the end of the year. So we actually have a question from a person from uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, Ileana says that I'm 75 years old and receive Social Security. I have a 35-year-old son who lives with me and is in charge of my care, which includes taking me to my doctor's appointments, grocery shopping, and helping me with home cleaning. I live in Puerto Rico and would like to know if my son can receive any monetary help for his taking care of me. Now, Edwin, you mentioned before that long-term uh, supports and services are not available in Puerto Rico, but can you uh, tell us more about maybe what Ileana could be looking forward to? Yes, yeah, some uh, states have taken up what's called a Money Follows the Person um, program, which allows uh, those with LTSS needs um, to reimburse uh, family uh, caregivers who help them with their care um, uh, um, as part of their uh, Medicaid coverage. Now, uh, Puerto Rico doesn't cover LTSS services, as you mentioned, but um, it has recently received a planning grant from the federal government, from the Department of Health and Human Services, to uh, begin the process of starting up a Money Follows the Person program. I'm not sure what Puerto Rico is thinking and what that program might look like and when it will be implemented, but potentially down the road, um, uh, the, the, the person who sent in the question, she may be able to get um, reimbursement for um, her son providing caregiving if she's determined to have you know, sufficient uh, long-term services and support needs that requires um, help from a family uh, member for their care. 
Well, thank you, Edwin, for joining us today. Uh, thank you, everybody who sent in your questions. Please keep calling or texting in your questions, and we'll answer them in future episodes. And please take the time today to contact your representative and your senators, even if they are uh, your, your elected officials are going to be changing next year after the election. Uh, the people that are in office now are working on the lame duck session, so they will have a vote. They can do something to help healthcare in the United States territories, and they need to hear from you that you want them to take action. So thank you, everybody. This is Care Talk. <laughs>